Welcome to episode eight of AvTalk, the aviation podcast from Flight Radar 24. My name is Ian Pechnik, and I'm here with Jason Rabinowitz. Hello. And we're back for uh, another another episode where we talk about aviation and uh, among other things, we apologize to begin this episode because we looked at our calendar and last episode we promised that we would have a discussion about ATC privatization. Then we looked at our calendar and realized that this week was the Paris Air Show. Oops. The largest gathering of commercial, military, private aviation in the world. And so the folks that we wanted to bring on are are busy doing their jobs at the Paris Air Show. A lot of the people who cover the industry are there. And so we decided to push this off also because we hadn't really seen anything <laughs> by the way of actual yet. legislation that sort of changed today with the introduction of a bill in the US House of Representatives that would split the air traffic control portion of the Federal Aviation Administration off into a private entity so we're going to do a lot of reading or I'm going to do a lot of reading because Jason won't you can summarize it for me. And and I will give him the Cliffs Notes versions and then we will redouble our efforts to bring you some some better content as far as ATC privatization goes and a discussion of that now that we have some meat to dig into. Yeah, if anyone um, that we wanted to bring on onto the show has not died of heat stroke at the Paris Air Show, we'll have them on this show. It It has been warm in Paris this week, that's for certain. Yeah, uh, warm's a bit of an understatement, so I'm kind of glad I'm not there this year. I'm, I'm a bit sad I'm not there, but I could do without the near 100 degree temperatures or 30 Celsius or whatever. I think it's 30, right? I think the high was 34 oh. uh, at one point, so it, it it got up there. It was... Yeah, John Ostrower has been um, posting a couple pictures every now and then of People cluttered and hustured on huddled under the like shadows of the wings of an A three eighty and cowering under running APUs for shade, which is yeah. not normally where you go for reprieve from hot air. Although to be fair, it hasn't been as hot as it was in Phoenix yesterday. Oh, so we should talk about that. We should talk about that. It, it was it was forty nine Celsius, which is a billion Fahrenheit. A billion Fahrenheit. A hundred and twenty Fahrenheit yesterday in in phoenix and the main carrier in phoenix is american airlines and uh, fair enough and they canceled nearly 50 flights yesterday because their their crj 700 and crj 900 they didn't it got so hot that it was beyond the temperature that they can use to calculate performance data for takeoff right so there's a couple reasons that happens um when the air gets really hot it's less dense and engines produce less thrust and it's not that these crjs can't operate when it's super super hot out it's just that the manual doesn't say they can operate when it's super duper hot out so they just don't operate and and so between about 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. they they just canceled flights that are normally operated by these these crjs and global warming is going to be a problem when uh, planes can't fly because it's so hot out. That, that I mean, that's it's an interesting, and that that also kind of comes back to the two engines versus four engines because we're talking about airports that are that are hot and high, and 
all of the the takeoff performance numbers are based on the fact the worst case scenario that you're going to lose one engine on on right after rotation on takeoff and so that performance no, those performance numbers change you know with two engines or four engines and so that that's one of the the interesting things about the kind of sunsetting of four engine airplanes yeah and is, heat is how the, does that how heat does in that the southwest us has been a problem too several airlines have wanted to start up service in uh, las vegas and had to delay or retime their flights because they wanted to take off at maybe 2 or 3 p.m and it's just too hot for long haul flights out of vegas nor norwegian in particular yeah uh, qatar had I to to retime yet yeah, well qatar's been long rumored to want service but they haven't i don't believe they've started service yet no they keep delaying it right so we'll we'll see if that actually happens but it it's it's an interesting thing that you know i guess something a lot of people don't think about is you know how hot is an airport but also the elevation because we're talking about you know air density yeah it's a problem but some things apparently have no problem flying really high and somewhat recently what was it uh, the end of march ian yeah march 26th a uh, research group let a high altitude weather balloon loose over Michigan or New York, Western but New York. They're close. They're, they're close. close. Yeah, there's only a, a Great Lake between them. What, this weather balloon got pretty high up there, thirty-seven thousand feet, give or take, which is not unusual. These things are launched all the time, all over the country, all over the world, but most of them don't have transponders. So there's a notum filed and notice to airmen and pilots will see in the notum where these things were launched and where they think they might end up. They're equipped with reflectors and all sorts of fancy things to try to help pilots see them. But last month, or I guess this was two months ago already, a Delta A319 had a really close encounter with one of these weather balloons. Yeah. I mean, close enough that you could hear the the aircraft from the the microphone on the on the weather balloon. So we'll post the link to the video in the show notes, Ian. Don't forget. Yes, and I will not forget. This, taking notes. <laughs> this weather balloon had a GoPro attached to it, which was doing fantastic on a, autonomous work. <laughs> it rotated right to see the A three nineteen approach you, and then it turns around some magically as it whizzes by in the other direction. And the sound this commercial airliner makes at 37,000, I guess it was about 38,000 feet is just kind of incredible. Yeah, it was, we'll, we'll post a link to the video and, and you just have to to watch the whole thing because you you see it coming and then you hear it, which is the, the craziest part. It sounds like a jet fighter. Yeah, I was I was thoroughly impressed that you could hear it that that clearly. So weather balloons are a common thing, but most of them do not have a transponder ADSB for either air traffic control or pilots to spot these things because transponders are expensive. But there are some balloons that do have them. And specifically on Flight Rider 24, you might see these balloon icons all over the world. You sometimes see them in the US, Brazil, Africa, and those that's the Google Loon Project, which yeah. is this high altitude internet Wi-Fi relay project x thing that google has going on to provide basically internet coverage in very rural places and they launch these balloons all over the place but you can actually track them yeah they're they're equipped with transponders so you can you can see them 
I mean, they, they, they often fly above areas that have very little internet access. So we end up, you know, tracking them from areas outside of the areas they're meant to serve which is a pretty interesting because they're so high up, the, the coverage becomes so good. But uh, they, they fly between 50 and, and 65,000 feet. Generally. Yeah, you, you usually so see these things up way up there. Yeah, th- those, are, those are pretty cool to watch. And, and I will post another link in the show notes so that people can see what they look like be, because they're, they don't look like a, a normal balloon. It looks kind of like a, a clear jellyfish they look floating through the sky. I'm sure they are. So speaking of videos, in advance of the Paris Air Show, which we'll talk about in a minute, Boeing put out a spectacular video with a 787, what was it, uh, dash 9 or 10, Ian? It was the it was the 10. It was the 10 and a 73 Max. Yeah. Again, I don't know if the it was Max the 9. Max 9. And mm-hmm. they kind of did this ballet where it was the seven three was always fighting for attention over the seven eight, and it just kind of uh, it, it was pretty kept dropping into frame, which is really funny. But it was super, super well done. And if you haven't seen that, Ian, show note. We ha- we it's going to be a full show notes, but we we did uh, we do have a, a link. We'll put a link in the in the show notes, but we also have a link to the video and a link to the tracking because the tracking looks. Very cool. We put it into Google Earth so you could kind of see it in 3D uh, over the mountains and then base that off the video, uh, see what's going on there. Did the both aircraft have ADS-B turned on? Yes. Yes. Both aircraft had ADS-B turned on, which was which was great. Unfortunately, that, that can kind of – ADS-B and, and tracking these planes can kind of lead us into Paris because we can talk a little bit about tracking planes at Paris. Paris Air Show is the preeminent air show for people who not only like to go and see planes, that's all well and good, but this is for people who have the money to purchase planes, and a lot of them. Not uh, you not, or me. Yeah, not one or two, but you know, I'm going to go buy 100 737s or 25 A321neos. As one does. As one does. But there's also an air show. So obviously, you know, AvGeeks are very interested in it, and and we like to track things at at the Paris Air Show. But because of the the Paris Air Show takes place at Le Bourget Airport, which is outside of the Paris, the city proper, and it's just southwest of Charles de Gaulle Airport. Yeah, it's close it's, enough that if you're at Le Bourget, you can see the de Gaulle aircraft on final. It, exactly, and and that leads to some very interesting things. So what happens is. The show rules at the Paris Air Show for the aircraft that are flying, they have to fly in a in a transponder mode that makes tracking them very difficult because it's a transponder mode where they don't report an altitude value. So everything weird. looks like they're driving around on the ground. <laughs> uh, so it looks very strange. It's a really out of control tug. It, exactly. And so we don't get the, you know, the kind of the cool things like we do for the, the Boeing video or the Airbus demonstrations that we've done in the past, like it when for the Singapore show and things like that. So it, it's, they fly this way because they don't want a traffic resolution advisory with aircraft that are approaching or departing Charles de Gaulle. So they, they fly in this 
interesting transponder mode. And in the show notes, we'll put a picture of uh, of what that transponder mode looks like because there's a, a setting for no altitude reporting that they that they use specifically for, for the show. So long so, show notes today, but we're, we're covering a lot of ground. So meanwhile, at the Paris Air Show, I would say the biggest news, not the most exciting news in my opinion, was the launch, the official launch of the 737 MAX 10, the newest, longest stretched version of the 737 again. This time it bumps it up to 188 seats in a two-class configuration or 230 in a single-class configuration. Comparison, the MAX 8 is 162 or 200, so this adds about 30 seats. But the range takes a hit down to 3,200 nautical miles, and this is about 143 feet 8 inches long. So yet another member of the 737 family. So the Max 10 is almost as long as the 757-200, if I'm not mistaken. But it's not a 757 replacement. No, it is not a 757 replacement. And I think everyone is in complete agreement about that. There there is no 757 replacement. Maybe. Sort of. Kind of. But there might be. There might be. There could be. There's a shadowy figure in the background of one of... uh, Boeing's future market outlook presentations where you could see where it would go, but it's not there yet. But it might be. Maybe. One day, but not it now. It could be. Could be. But not right now. No. The 757 stands alone for now. It has no real replacement. The A321neo-LR comes close, but it is So we got what I guess could be called a, a teaser or... I don't know, a, a preview of the 797, if that's what we're calling it. I mean, It doesn't have a name. It was just kind of hanging out in the background as this un- unidentified uh, middle-of-the-market aircraft, and TBD, stay tuned. Yeah, I, I, it's I something everyone is following intently. What was interesting to me is I heard Emirates expressing interest. Yeah, Emirates is unlike both Qatar and Etihad in the Middle East of the the big ME3 that they don't have any narrowbody aircraft. Their smallest aircraft was the uh, A330, but they retired those. So now it's the uh, 777-200 is their smallest aircraft, I believe. And that kind of puts them at a competitive disadvantage that if they want to open a new route, they have to do so with one of the world's largest aircraft, which isn't always a good look. Yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Emirates really drove the A380 project. It would be interesting to see if they decide to to put their weight behind a seven. We'll call it seven nine seven because why not? So that that would be interesting to see if they they turn around and and then drive development of a new narrow body. Yeah, but speaking of Emirates and the A380, there, there's some new developments working down in the show in Paris. It's and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean I I that that's I guess I it really I mean the the MD12 lives. I mean the the, the A380 has been well the I mean the M, the A380 has been finally, you know, kind of it's reached its final form. We're of course talking about the new winglet a I I don't know what they're officially calling it. 
It's it's a winglet. They're not called. Well, no, it a no. Charlotte. The there's a, I didn't. Uh, the, oh, it's it's part of the A380 plus. Right. That, so that's what it is. The A380 plus is most of this was announced back with back at an uh, AIX aircraft interior in Hamburg in April, which uh, we actually did a show at. Wow, we can make mm-hmm. a historical reference to our show already. All right. Awesome. A lot, uh, Airbus is doing a lot of things to try to make the A380 more commercially viable for new customers by taking out the grand staircase in the front and the spiral staircase in the rear and just turning them into a regular stairway, going from 10 abreast seating to 11 abreast, slimming the sidewall to get extra seats in, doing a whole bunch of stuff basically to add, I think it's 80 seats overall and try to get someone else to order an A380. And just a few days before Paris, there were a few pictures that snuck out of this A380 that had winglets that no one had ever seen before. And it turns out that is the final phase of the A380's, I guess you would say, version 2.0 or 1.5. I'm not sure this is a is a considerable enough to be a 2.0, but it has I, I, 1.5, I think, is fair. Yeah, except Emirates doesn't seem interested in it. They already poured some cold water on this plan. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if, the, if it's enough... If the interior modifications and, and the winglets are enough to bring new customers to the A380. And the problem with the winglets is, yeah, it does make the A380 more efficient, but it's not retrofittable to existing aircraft. It is only an option for new aircraft. And there are really no airlines in the world out there that are, in my opinion, going to jump on a new build A380 because it has winglets while there are used A380s now coming on to the market off uh, lease and onto the market. We talked about this a couple shows ago. Yeah. How would you want a new A380 when there are used ones readily available? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I, it, what is it? They say 4% fuel burn is the, is the improvement. So I, 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 can't, I can't I can't imagine there's any airline out there that's like, oh, four percent, suddenly the A three eighty makes so yeah, much. Yeah, they were they were waiting for that extra little bit of improved fuel performance before I, they they went out and, and bought, you know, an A three eighty. I love the A three eighty. It's one of my favorite aircraft to fly on, but it doesn't have a future. Well and and the thing is Boeing came out at the air show and said basically the seven four seven is not long for this world in passenger service and, and and said basically the same thing about the A380 while they were at it. They don't have a very large aircraft segment anymore. They basically took it out of their forecast. So, I, I mean, and with, I mean, with the, the 777X has been slowed a little bit, the development or, or the entry into service has been pushed back. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's not good times for uh, any four-engined aircraft. But, but uh, the seven, the 747-8 will live on as a freighter. UPS is about to receive its first somewhat soon. It, it, their first just came off the uh, production line. Yeah. But there is no freight variant of the A380. That was canceled way back when, um, before the first flight of the passenger version. So There was the, the long rumor that FedEx would take freight versions of the A380. But that, that was kind of gone before it even... Well, I, I think both serious. FedEx and UPS had orders for the A380 freighter, I believe. I, I didn't know that there were actual orders. Yeah. Uh, if you look at um, the first 
uh, way back when, before the first flight, you could see uh, the logos of a couple cargo That's right, operators yeah, yeah. on the side that was obviously not meant to be. After further study, it was a bad idea. Yeah. Um, but for, there, are for some a good, of there are some good ideas coming from Airbus out of the show. And one of them is not really a topic anyone wants to talk about it, but it is super important. And yep. that's black boxes. It's um, technology you never really want to have or need. but it's, Well, you always want to have it. You, you never want to have, have it, to but you don't want to need it. Yeah. And if uh, recent events have taught us anything over the last couple incidents is that black boxes are really difficult to find when an aircraft goes missing or crashes into a mountain, unfortunately. The black boxes stay with the fuselage and they are very, very difficult to find. Maybe you find one, hopefully you find both, but sometimes you find neither of them, which is the case with um, Asiana, where um, wherever that might be. But Airbus has two new types of black boxes or uh, really flight and voice data recorders. The first one of the two is actually a combined cockpit voice and data recorder. They call it a CVDR, which records 25 hours of voice and flight data onto a single recorder. And there's also a second, which is an automatic deployable flight recorder. So basically, if an aircraft were ever damaged to the point where it's obviously not flying anymore and it's structurally deformed, the ADFR will be ejected from the fuselage. And if it happens to be in water, it floats and it has its own emergency locator transmitter on it. So it won't be dragged down to the bottom of the ocean like we saw with Air France 447, is it'll be ejected from the aircraft and hopefully really increases the odds of it being found. Yeah. I mean, that, that's that's something that a lot of people have been talking about for, for a while, especially since AF447 and, and thinking about things like, you know, finding the the CVR and, and the data recorder for Malaysia 370 as, you know, even if they never found the plane, they, if there was something they could have done to find the, the recorders, that would have been something as well. Yeah. Currently, black boxes one of them acts as a voice recorder and the other acts as a data recorder neither of them record both of those specs but airbus has made it so that both of these record both voice and data so if you find one great you found everything you need you don't need to find both anymore now it's kind of you find one you only get half the story you really need both of them to fully understand what has happened right right now, what I didn't read is if they're they're marketing this as supplanting the the existing, or if this is an additional. It sounds to me like this is an additional piece of equipment that that would be fitted to the aircraft. The press release I don't believe states that, but I do know where it will be available and when, and that is on the A three hundred and fifty in twenty nineteen, and eventually on other Airbus aircraft types. And I have even heard that they will make this technology available to other aircraft manufacturers in due course. There you go. Which is always good. So a, a little horn tooting of our own, I, I guess, is in order. All right. My I'll, I'll allow one toot. You'll allow? I'll, I'll be one quick toot. about it. Speaking of tracking aircraft, we, we also announced today our continued partnership uh, because we, we get people writing in. I'll, I'll, I'll lead into this by saying people want to hear about it. Not just I want to talk about it, even though I do want to talk about it. People what are we talking about? About tracking and, and things like that. So as far as tracking aircraft goes, 
and as far as being able to find flights wherever they are around the world. We're, we're working with NavBlue, which is an Airbus company, in partnership with, with NavBlue and, and a satellite company called Spire to track flights anywhere around the globe. We'll use our terrestrial ADSB network plus ACARS when the flights aren't in coverage. So What's ACARS, Ian? So ACARS is a – oh, you're putting me on the spot here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I feel bad. I understand ACARS as being – You understand ACARS. Okay. I understand uh, it as being I, – no, I don't say I understand it. I understand it as basically short text messages sent over regular old radio frequencies or satellite that contain operational information from the aircraft down to home base right. or whatever. It could have anything from engine information to location to a message to the pilots or really anything. So, I mean, yeah, anything from, you know, important information like where is the aircraft all the way to we can, you know, send up sports scores uh, yep. if the pilots want to know. So ACARS, Aircraft Communications Addressing and Reporting System. Did, did you just remember that? No, I went to my notes. Oh, okay. So... As long as the aircraft is in ADSB coverage, it'll be reported through ADSB. If it exits ADSB coverage, it gets a note that says the aircraft gets a note that says, "Hey, you're not in ADSB coverage anymore. Start sending us position information over ACARS." And the aircraft says, "Okay, here's where I'm at." And then as long as the aircraft remains out of ADSB coverage, it sends ACARS information. As soon as it re-enters, it stops sending that and we get the ADSB data back again. And eventually um, you're going to go to space. And eventually we're going to go to space. There's a lot of cool stuff that we're doing with Well, not uh, you personally, a satellite will. Well, I mean, I might, who knows. I mean, yeah. you know, they they're people are going to Mars and and you know, you look around, the commercial space is becoming a lot more affordable. I I don't have, you know, 3-400,000 laying around, but but maybe you can loan me some money. This podcast doesn't pay nearly well enough. <laughs> or at all for that or at all <laughs> but the idea is that we'll be able to track flights around the globe and make it known to operators where their aircraft are at all times right off the bat nice so as long as their acars equipped and as long as their adsb equipped anywhere around the globe ready to go so okay. that that was our paris air show announcement Back, Back to, you. to aircraft news. So our friends at Flight Global, they don't know we're friends, but we, we are, we're friends with them. No, no. We, we had dinner with them in, in Hamburg. See, it, it all comes back to, to AIX today. Oh, perfect. They have a really great tracker on their site about all these stats and orders and who ordered what at the Paris Air Show. And I want to give everyone a little rundown. By the time you actually listen to this, it will be days later. But it is now Wednesday night. The show, for the most part, is gonna die down at this point i don't expect any major orders but boeing has absolutely cleaned the floor with airbus at this show boeing had seven oddly 767 orders and airbus only had 229 orders do you think boeing structured it so that they could get 767 oh definitely that's how i structure all my <laughs> business deals around aircraft numbers 320 757 380 you know so you get That's how you it. set your alarm in the morning, get your right. coffee to go. I, nope. To be perfect, to, I mean, to to tell the truth, I if I have to get up in the 7 o'clock hour or set coffee in the 7 o'clock, I will get on a, on a Boeing aircraft number. Nerd. So send us, send us an email or if you do things like this. 
if you do anything on the sevens, like 707, 717, something like that, or if you have other aircraft related idiosyncrasies, we would love to hear it. Podcasts at fr24.com. Can I get back to the numbers? I wish you would. Okay. So keep in mind, some of these numbers are sort of quasi not realistic because there are uh, converted orders to new orders as well as new orders and previously unreported. Explain what you mean by converted. So I'm Boeing. I launched the 737 MAX 10. You're United and you already have orders for the 737 MAX 9. You decide you love the new 10 so much that you want to scrap your order for the MAX 9 and convert them to the 10. And I, as Boeing, say, great, we'll take your existing MAX 9 orders, convert them to a 10, and we'll kind of count them as new, but not really. But it looks good in stats on this page. Did that make sense? I I understood it. Cool. Uh, So hopefully everyone else did. But no, I, I thought that was pretty straightforward. So from top down, the 737 MAX family reports 711 orders, and the next highest order from any manufacturer drops all the way down to 202 for the A320neo family, then drops all the way down to 62 for the Bombardier Q400, 50 for the 787, 40 for the Embraer E-Jet E2, and then a measly little 25 for the a 320 classic, I guess you would call it, family. I mean, not that 25 airplanes isn't anything to scoff at, because that's many, 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 many millions of dollars. But it's kind of a rounding order, rounding error in the uh, order book at these so, shows. So the 737 MAX wins the Paris Air Show. Oh, by far. And there are lots of big orders. There are lots of little orders. I can go down the list and pick some sporadically. The biggest orders are from GE Cast, which is a leasing company owned by GE. They ordered 100 new A320neo family aircraft. And then the next highest is still 100 from United for the 737 MAX 10, which is a, sw- a conversion to the MAX 10 from the MAX 8. And a lot of these orders are from leasing companies who will then who will then lease these aircraft out to actual airlines. So Avalon ordered 75, 73 MAX 8s. is an airline. They're a leasing company. So an airline will go to Avalon to lease these planes from them. Just to ramble on some other names that we see orders from at the show, Lion Air, Qatar, Viva Air Colombia, SpiceJet, Tibet Financial Leasing, who I'm sure will lease these aircraft to a Tibetan airline. Undisclosed customer ordered 20 E190E2. Good luck to undisclosed customer. The TUI Group, Monarch. Uh, who else we got? Copa. I can't even pronounce this name. Tianju. Ryanair. You've probably heard of them. Delta. Yeah, they sound new. Yeah, they're up and coming. Delta. More undisclosed customers. Ethiopian, Wizz Air, Shaman Airlines, Malaysia, Donghai, OK, Pal Express. Blue Air, Ethiopian. Did I mention them already? You mentioned Ethiopian. Azerbaijan. I can't pronounce this Chinese one. Fuji Dream Airlines. I just want to know what color they're going to paint their E-175s. Another airline we (laughs) talked about before. Rainbow. Rainbow colors. Right. That would actually be pretty cool. Norwegian, Kalem, City Hopper, Air Senegal, Ethiopian, High Flight, LL, J Air, Belavia, LL, and Marutania Airlines. I probably got that very wrong. 
But um, they ordered one 737 Max 8. You have to try it out. I mean, you, you don't want to you don't want to jump into anything. There's a surprising number of orders for one aircraft. LL ordered one 787-9. Belavia ordered one E-195 and one E-175. J-Air ordered one well, E-190. Well, LL is already getting – I mean, they, they've already got their order for the They are. Maybe they just need yeah. to kind of round out their numbers. Yeah, their first 789 is coming off the line now, and I guess they like how it looked so much before it painted. They wanted one more. There you go. Even HiFly, uh, the leasing company that if you've ever booked Norwegian long haul, you've probably ended up on HiFly mm-hmm. at some point. Two A33200s. Oh, that is their first new aircraft order, actually. Wow. But as you can hear, all these airlines are global and they all come to hot, hot Paris to order some planes. Yeah. And, and that's just the commercial stuff. Yeah. We won't even get into military because- I we don't know. Don't, I don't know. I, I think the F-35 was there for the first time. It was. That's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> In case anyone was wondering, we're very much into commercial aviation. It's black. Military aviation isn't... Uh, it, it's not even... It's, it's kind of gray. Gray, black, stealthy, expensive, and partially grounded. That's as much as I know. And I think we've covered it as much as, as, yeah. much as we can. I know I've already paid probably hundreds or maybe thousands of dollars to support that program, unfortunately. <laughs> so I don't want to talk about it. All right. What else? Shall we shall we clean up with some some past episode updates? Yes. And we shall. and some some reader mail. So updates on our last episode, we talked about the Restrictions placed on Qatar-registered flights flying through Bahrain airspace, Saudi Arabian airspace, United Arab Emirates, Yemen, and Egypt, which still doesn't matter because Qatar can't get to Egyptian airspace because Saudi Arabian airspace is close. The initial impact was, was pretty severe as far as getting to and from Qatar because there was one route in and one route out. A few days after that happened, Bahrain relaxed their airspace restrictions to to open up much more of their airspace to Qatar registered flights so that the routing restrictions in place within the Bahrain airspace just limited them to not flying really, really close to Bahrain. So that's changed a little bit to lessen the impact, but the impact to flights to Africa is still adding hours to the flights and, and that hasn't really let go yet. So that's the update, the major update on Qatar. Reader mail? We get mail. We get mail. When when I ask people to, to email us, people email us, which is great, I think. Jason, do Canadian pennies still exist? I said yes, but it turns out no. They do not. Good they, on you, Canada. Pennies are dumb. They have not existed since 2013. Uh, so if you have any Canadian pennies, uh, I guess frame them and put them on a wall i'm not sure what you would do with them at this point i don't Uh, know but i do hate pennies and i wish they would go away and and maybe we can you know this podcast will single-handedly rid the world of pennies so that was uh that was the canadian pennies update and then we got one email from from someone who thought that we went too soft on the entire airline industry, but especially BA, as far as the meltdown. And and they, they, they I, I thought this was pretty good. 
our reader writes, I would, or our listener writes, I would expect that in the year 2017, airlines around the world are already well prepared for all sorts of system outages, considering that every five-year-old today knows that nothing can move without computer systems running flawlessly. So did we go a little soft on them? Probably. I think I, you got the point though. I, 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 yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think we're, we're getting there, but th- this particular person felt that we went a little soft and, and did we go a little soft perhaps after listening to this episode, if you've got anything that you want to write in and tell us we're wrong about, or if you want to explain to Jason how to pronounce airline names that he does not yet know, feel free to email us at podcast at fr24.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at flight 24 Facebook, the same. If you're listening via iTunes, go ahead and rate us and leave a review because the more people that do that, the more people can find us. If you've got questions about anything we talked about today, want more explanation in a future episode, let us know. We are happy. We read the emails. We read the tweets. I read the emails and then I forward them to Jason and make him write responses. But we take everything seriously. So if, if you've got anything that you'd like us to talk about in a future episode, please do. And, and we'll, we'll absolutely read it and, and do our best to, to find somebody that can either answer the question or we'll answer it ourselves. Jason, I think we covered quite a bit. I think we did. Is it time to say goodbye? This parting is such sweet sorrow, but we have to do it. We have to do it. We're already Until at 40 minutes. Time. Wow. I know. Until next time, I'm Ian Pechnik, and I'm here with Jason Rabinowitz. Thanks for listening to Av Talk. Bye bye. Yeah.